Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, the best podcast in the world, talking about book two, chapter 36. Quite fearless, young Julian. That was my discussion prompt. Not much of a prompt, um, because um, by the time I got to writing it, I'd just done the podcast two times in a row and I was exhausted. But uh, Julian, in the face of death, quite fearless. Reminded of a little bit of... um, What's his face? From The Outsider by Albert Camus. Um, I can't think of the character's name. I should know that. It's one of my favorite books. Anyway, Star 415 says, I take back what I said yesterday about Madame de Renal, should, how she should be in Paris, to be a more plausible, impulsive act for Julian. It had to be in Verrières to come full circle. The town that witnessed his rise witnesses his downfall. Laura Weistich says, yes, definitely. It w- wouldn't have had nearly the same impact if he was surrounded by Parisians. Plus, it shows how determined Julian was. How determined Julian gets when he has an idea. He was willing to follow it through after all that time he had to think. Swim said the mum fishy says, I'm glad Stendhal explained how Madame de Renal's letter came to be written. It seemed out of character, but makes sense that her confessor strong-armed her into it. Yes, 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 indeed. Um, mm. That's it. That's the conversation. Um, what was I, Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say a reminder that voting is open for the next book, which we'll be reading. We're starting in, uh, what is it, like, 10 days or so I think at the moment we've had 110 votes so far that's a lot of votes and what's winning what have we got here um aha I see I see indeed now here's the thing about this here's the thing about this I can go into Google Drive and look at the uh, responses in a spreadsheet and when I do that, I can see when a book has been voted for uh, like 10 times in a row within 30 seconds. And it's quite obvious that <laughs> someone has a favorite that they want to win. And that's fine. But I do try to encourage you guys to only vote once. You know, just vote once. So... um what I'm going to do is delete the duplicate ones um, because it's just silly. Like, <laughs> like I do. One day, I really appreciate that some people are so into this that the book that they want to be next, they're willing to like try to cheat the system to get their book in next. I appreciate that you guys are that into this. Like. It's very obvious how easy it is to cheat this system. You can vote as many times as you want. Right. But um, are you really that desperate to win a vote for an internet forum on what book to read next? We're going to read them all, you know. So um, I can see looking through it that... Yeah, look, it's pretty disappointing to be honest. Uh, I can see a lot of people have voted once. And I appreciate that. But I can also see a lot of people have just gone, um, like, 
hail and farewell has just been voted for. Um, what have we got here? How do you count? 20 times within two minutes. Right. So uh, I'm going to delete 19 of those and then look at the results again. So when I say there's been a hundred what did I say? There's been 119 votes. There probably actually hasn't been that many because there's so many duplicates. It's probably only been about 50 legitimate ones. Anyway, it doesn't matter. All I'm saying is, guys, why do I have to... I mean, I sound very disappointed. I am. I should realize that this is the internet, you know. It's full of nine-year-olds. So I can't be disappointed when I put something out in public on the internet and get childish behavior. Because for all I know, it's children out there doing it. So it's all good. Uh, But yeah, I am going to... um, I am going to remove the duplicates. That's what I'm going to do. All right. With that said, you are you guys are actually able to see the results and someone has gone into the um, voting forum and, and posted a link to go straight to the results, which I appreciate. Uh, David Ancio has done that. Um, but those results are skewed by duplicates. So you can get a rough idea about how the voting's going, but you won't be able to see who's winning until the end. Um, now, I think for the next time we vote, I'm going to... I didn't want to have to do this, but I'm going to make it so you have to register an email address to vote, and that way you can only vote once unless you want to register multiple email addresses. I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to, you to have to log your email address just to vote for a silly book online, but apparently you people are children, and uh, that's what I'm going to have to do. <laughs> I'm so disappointed. I feel like a disappointed father. Uh, Okay. Anyway, let's read a book. What book shall we read today? How about chapter 37, which is called A Keep, The Tomb of a Friend, Stern. He had a great disturbance in the corridor. It was not the time of day for visitors to be climbing up to his prison, the eagle owl flew off with a shriek, the door opened, and the aged Kura Shalan, all trembling and with his walking stick in hand, tumbled into his arms. Oh, great God, can this be possible, my child, a monster, I should say? And the good old man could not manage another word. Julian was afraid he might fall. He had to help him to a chair. Time's hand was weighing heavy on this once so vigorous man, Julian found him no more than the shadow of his former self. When he had recovered his breath, it was only the day before yesterday I received your letter from Strasbourg with your 500 francs for the poor barriers. They brought it to me in the mountains of Livroux, where I have retired to live with my nephew, Jean. Jean? Jean. Yesterday I heard of this disaster. Oh heaven, can it be possible? And the old man no longer wept. He seemed deprived of ideas and added mechanically, You will be needing your five hundred. I have brought you them. What I need, father, is to see you, cried Julian, very much moved. I have plenty of money. But he could no longer get a rational response. From time to time, Monsieur Chalant shed a few tears, which trickled silently down his cheek. Then he peered at Julian and seemed 
as though dazed when he saw him take his hands and carry them to his lips. This physiognomy, once so full of life and used to express the noble feelings with such power, no longer stirred from out its apathy. Soon a peasant-like fellow came looking for the old man. He mustn't get overtired, he told Julian, who realised it was the nephew. This apparition left Julian plunged into suffering, so bitter as to go beyond tears. Everything seemed to him so sad and irremediable. He felt the heart go cold in his breast. It was the cruelest moment he had suffered since his crime. He had just seen death, and in all its ugliness. All illusions of spiritual grandeur and generous feeling were scattered like clouds before the storm. This frightful state lasted seven, several hours. Infections of morale call for physical antidotes and champagne. Julian would have thought it's cowardice to have recourse to things of that sort. Towards the end of a horrible day, the whole of which had been spent pacing up and down his narrow prison, he cried, What a fool I am! If it was my fate to die in the same way as others, the sight of this poor old man might well throw me into this terrible state, but a quick death in the flower of my youth is precisely what protects me from that tragic decay. But however he reasoned, Julian felt softened and upset, like any pusillanimous little being, and so was made miserable by the visit. There was no more rude ambition and grandiosity left in him. No more Roman virtue. Death seemed to loom much higher over him, a much less facile thing. This will be my thermometer, he said to himself. This evening I am ten degrees under the level of the courage required for the guillotine. I had it this morning, that courage, but anyhow, so long as it returns at the right moment, what does it matter? The idea of a thermometer amused him and eventually served to distract his mind. When he awoke the next morning, he was ashamed of the previous day. My happiness, my peace of mind are at stake. He almost decided to write to the public prosecutor, requesting that no one be admitted to see him. But what about Fouke, he thought. If he decides to take it upon himself to, sit, to come to Bezacon, how miserable will he be? It was perhaps two months since he had thought of his friend. I was a great clown at Strasbourg. My thoughts did not go beyond the cut of my coat collar. The recollection of Fouke preoccupied him and left him feeling still more softened. He walked up and down agitatedly. Here am I, certainly twenty degrees under the level to meet death. If this feebleness increases, it will be better to kill myself. What a joy for the Amazons and the Valenods if I should die like a groveling wrench. Fouque did come. This simple good man was bewildered by grief. His sole idea, if it can be called one, was to sell all he possessed in order to bribe the jailer to save Julian. He talked for a long time about the escape of Monsieur de la Verlette. De Lavalette. <clears throat> you distress me, Julian told him. Monsieur de Lavalette was innocent, but as for me, I am guilty. Without meaning to, you make me realise the difference. But is that true, really? What? You would sell all you have, he asked, suddenly becoming alert and distrustful again. Fouque, delighted to find his friend responding to his, his ruling idea, set out in detail, almost to the last hundred francs, what he would get for each of his possessions. What sublime aspirations in a small country capitalist, thought Julian. How many cheese pairings, how many obscure acts of petty stinginess that made me blush so deeply for him when I noticed them, he would now sacrifice for me, one of those beautiful young men that I used to see at the Hotel de la Mole, readers of René, would have none of this awkwardness, but except 
for those who are exceedingly young, and anyway, have inherited their money and do not know the value of it. Which of those handsome Parisians would be capable of such a sacrifice? All Fouque's clumsy speech and awkward movements became as nothing. He threw himself into his arms. Never have the provinces in comparison with Paris received a finer homage. Fouque, delighted at the spark of enthusiasm he saw in the eyes of his friend, took it as a consent to the escape. This glimpse of the sublime gave Julian back all the zest Monsieur Chalant's appearance had taken away. He was still very young, but in my opinion he was a healthy plant. Instead of proceeding from tenderness to guile, as men, most men do, ripening age would have made his soul quick to feel. He would have been cursed of his insane distrust. But what use these idle speculations? The interrogations became more frequent, and this in spite of all the efforts of Julian, whose answers were aimed at shortening the affair, I have killed, or at least tried to kill, and with premeditation he would repeat day after day. But the magistrate was before all else a stickler for form. Julian's declarations did not shorten the interrogations at all. The magistrate's professional pride had been provoked. Julian was not aware that they had intended to transfer him to a frightful little cell, and that it was only thanks to Fuchs' diplomatic interventions that he was allowed to remain in his pretty room, 180 feet up in the air. Monsieur Abe de Frilliau was one of the numerous important people who ordered their supply of firewood from Fuchs. The worthy merchant went straight to the all-powerful vicar-general, to his inexpressible delight. Monsieur de Frilliau told him that, moved by Julian's good qualities and by the services he had rendered the seminary in the past, he planned to speak to the magistrates on his behalf. Fuchs saw a hope of saving his friend and bowing down to the ground as if he was leaving. He begged that the vicar-general expend the sum of ten louis on masses praying for the acquittal of the accused. Fuchs was oddly mistaken. Monsieur de Filier was no valenod. He declined and even tried to intimate to the good young peasant that he would do better to keep his money. Seeing that it was impossible to make himself clear without being indiscreet, he advised him to give the money as alms for the poor prisoners who did, in fact, lack for everything. This Julian is a singular creature. What he has done is inexplicable, reflected Monsieur de Filier, and nothing should be inexplicable to me. Perhaps it would be possible to make a martyr out of him. In any case, I will get to the root of this affair and maybe find an opportunity to frighten that Madame de Renal, who doesn't respect us, and in her heart detests me. Perhaps in all this I could find a way of staging a sensational reconciliation of Monsieur de la Mole. He has a weakness for this little seminarist. The agreement about the lawsuit had been signed some weeks previously, and the Abe Pirard had departed from Bezicon, not without having mentioned. On the very day the wretched young man had tried to assassinate Madame de Renal in the church at Verrieres, the mystery surrounding Julian's birth, Julian could foresee only one disagreeable event likely to come between his present state and death, a visit from his father. He consulted with Fuque on the idea of writing to the public prosecutor and asking to be excused from receiving any visits. This horror of seeing a father at such a time shocked the timber merchant's honest and deeply conventional heart. He believed he could now see why so many people passionately detested his friend. But out of respect for his misfortune, he dissembled the feeling. In any case, he answered coldly, such an order for close confinement would not apply to your father.
Alrighty, there we go. That's that chapter. Closing in on an ending here on this book. Now I'm wondering, will Julian get the guillotine or not? Most likely he will, but you never know with this guy. He's a bit of a weasel. He might wriggle out of it. Alright, have your say over at the subreddit. <clears throat> Thank you for listening. See you tomorrow.